it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. But first, the news. Trump fires back after Cohen accusation. I'm Sean Cantwell. President Donald Trump accused his former lawyer Michael Cohen of lying under pressure of prosecution Wednesday as his White House grappled with allegations that the president had orchestrated a campaign cover-up to buy the silence of two women who claimed he had affairs with them. Confronting mounting legal and political threats, Trump took to Twitter to accuse Cohen of making up stories in order to get a deal from federal prosecutors. Cohen pleaded guilty Tuesday to eight charges, including campaign finance violations that he said he carried out in coordination with Trump. Behind closed doors, Trump expressed worry and frustration that a man intimately familiar familiar with his political, personal, and business dealings for more than a decade had turned on him. Yet his White House signaled no clear strategy for managing the fallout. At a White House briefing, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders insisted at least seven times that Trump had done nothing wrong and was not the subject of criminal charges. She referred substantive questions to the president's personal counsel, Rudy Giuliani, who was at a golf course in Scotland. Outside allies of the White House said they'd received little guidance on how to respond to the events and their appearances on cable news, and it was not clear the West Wing was assembling any kind of coordinated response. Ohio State on Wednesday night suspended head football coach Urban Meyer for three games for mishandling domestic violence accusations, punishing one of the sport's most prominent leaders for keeping an assistant on staff for several years after that coach's wife accused him of abuse. The move followed a two-week investigation into how Meyer reacted to allegations that former Buckeye assistant Zach Smith abused his ex-wife Courtney Smith. Zach Smith was fired last month after she asked a judge for a protective order. Courtney Smith alleged her husband shoved her against a wall and put his hands around her neck in 2015. The university put Meyer on paid leave and began its investigation after Courtney Smith spoke out publicly, sharing text messages and photos she traded in 2015 with Meyer's wife Shelly, who is a registered nurse and instructor at Ohio State. Trustees discussed the decision to punish Meyer in a marathon meeting of more than 12 hours Wednesday. Athletic Director Gene Smith, who is not related to Zach or Courtney Smith, was also suspended from August 31st through September 16th. In local news, Thetford Township Police Chief Robert Kenny was arrested this week in connection with an investigation into surplus military equipment his department received. Court records show Kenny is charged with embezzlement and obstruction of justice dating back to 2012. The Sheriff's Office has been investigating Thetford Township's use of more than $1 million worth of surplus military equipment obtained through the Law Enforcement Supports Office over the past decade. Kenny obtained the equipment, including a large forklift, down to several used sleeping bags on behalf of the township's two-person police department. Thetford Township Supervisor Gary Stevens has challenged Kenny for months to account for the whereabouts of the equipment. Much of it had been stored on private property inside and outside the township. In April, the sheriff's office raided the Thetford Township offices and seized several boxes of evidence. An EPA employee credited with sounding the alarm that Flint's water wasn't safe to drink told his side of the story in court Wednesday. Miguel Del Toro took the witness stand in the 14th day of a preliminary hearing against four Michigan Department of Environmental Quality employees. Stephen Bush, Michael Prisby, Leanne Schechter-Smith, and Patrick Cook are all facing at least two felony charges apiece. Their charges include misconduct in office and involuntary manslaughter against two of them related to the deaths of two people who allegedly died of Legionnaire's disease. 
A series of emails were put in evidence Wednesday showing Del Toro's communication with Bush and Cook. In one of those emails, Bush told him the proper corrosion controls were in place at the Flint water treatment plant, but when he started asking more, Cook told him no corrosion control was in place. Special Prosecutor Todd Flood is planning to call Del Toro back to the witness stand when the hearing continues on September 19th. More testimony dates are scheduled into October. In sports, John Lester pitched into the sixth inning and the Chicago Cubs homered three times, finally breaking out of their offensive funk in an 8-2 victory over the Tigers on Wednesday night. Biker abandons motorcycle after leaving a long skid mark in wet cement and possibly other places. That story in the forecast in 60 seconds. The Tom Sumner program is made possible in part by Back to the Bricks, presented by Buick. From chrome and ice in February to the promo tour in June, plus tune-up parties, the cruise, and the big show in August. Back to the Bricks events celebrate the rich automotive history of Flint, Michigan, and America's love affair with the automobile. More about Back to the Bricks on Facebook and at backtothebricks.org. Support for the Tom Sumner Program comes from Hamity Complete Food Center, the same family values and community spirit that founded Hamity's back in 1911 and sent trucks of food to sit-down strikers in 1937, is back. Hamity sacks and all. Hamity Complete Food Center is located at 2629 West Pearson Road near Clio Road in Flint and on Facebook. Apparently, there's something irresistible about wet cement. A photo shared on social media by MDOT shows a motorcycle in a 969 work zone after a biker abandoned ship after landing in freshly poured concrete. Another photo shows a huge skid mark in the concrete. MLive said in a Facebook post, quote, you can pick your bike up at the impound where the police will be waiting. Sunny today with a high of 81, cleared tonight with a low of 56, partly cloudy tomorrow with a high of 78 and a low of 64. That's the latest. I'm Sean Cantwell. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Send your donations today. Check out the website for more details. Stream us live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon at TomSumnerProgram.com. Made possible by listeners like you. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, along with uh, Sean Cantwell, standing by at the news desk in Lapeer for five minutes of news each hour throughout the broadcast. News that he's following for you today on the Tom Sumner program. Uh, Great show today. Uh, We're going to be talking about something came up a while back that, um, that, that caught my attention. We've talked about it once or twice on Armchair Politics over the last couple of weeks. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, lawmakers in West Virginia did something that might be a first in American history. They impeached the entire state Supreme Court. The uh, West Virginia House of Delegates uh, impeachment of the justices on the state's Supreme Court of Appeals is an unprecedented move spurred by an escalating scandal in the state's judicial system. Um... The justices' fates are now in the hands of the state Senate, where they will be put on trial on the impeachment charges. West Virginia's Constitution requires a two-thirds vote in the Senate to remove a justice from from office. It's not clear when the trial will happen. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to be talking about there's been a lot of legal stuff in the news, and we're going to sort 
some of it out with uh, our go-to legal guy, uh, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery will be joining me shortly to talk about uh, this case in West Virginia and also um, the status of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who, uh, according to Judiciary Chair Chuck Grassley, could be uh, confirmed by the Supreme Court or to the Supreme Court by October 1st. And uh, we might touch a little bit on the uh, big news from the last couple of days about the uh, guilty verdict of Paul Manafort and uh, the guilty plea of Michael Cohen. Um, also on the show today, part two, part deux, as Andrea would say. Andrea, my, my co-host and associate producer, is off recuperating, but uh, expected to rejoin us shortly. Um, she was actually here Monday, sat in for the, uh, for the or Tuesday rather, and sat in for the uh, calendar that we did a day late because of our rebroadcast Monday of the Back to the Bricks remote that I did with Joel By on uh, Saturday down at uh, Back to the Bricks. But... Um, Part due of a conversation I had a week ago Friday with Anna Clark, the author of a book called The Poisoned City. It is a really definitive explanation of what happened with regard to the municipal water system in Flint. And it was, it was such an engaging conversation. And, and it seemed like we were just scratching the surface, uh, and so we decided that it would be a good idea to have a part two, and that takes place uh, during the second hour of our three-hour tour today, and then during the third half of our three-hour tour. This is really uh, a, an interesting uh, interview. It's a group interview from uh, 2013. You know, the Crim Race, uh, the Crim Festival of Races, is uh, taking to the bricks this weekend. Andrew Younger, the race director, was on the show yesterday to talk about this year's event and what's going to be going on. But uh, five years ago, I sat down in the Crim office with Andrew Younger and the founder of the race, Bobby Crim himself. And uh, also... Joining us for the conversation was a special guest of Flint. Um, this uh, actually, uh, this this two th 2013 race was the first crim to be run following the Boston Marathon bombing. And here in Flint for that race was the director of the Boston Marathon, David McGilvery. And... So I sat down with all three of them back in 2013. So in honor of uh, the Crim race this weekend and uh, Throwback Thursday, it seemed would be uh, a timely one to pull that one back. I've played this interview a couple times because it's a really good one. And it's the only time I think that I've ever had a chance to sit down and talk with Bobby Crim, the founder of the Crim race, uh, originally set up for, um, as a fundraiser for Special Olympics. Anyway, that's, uh, that's what's coming up on the show today. I have a break coming up in a couple of minutes, and uh, then we'll be back with uh, 
my guest for the first hour of the show, Brendan Beery. He um, is a constitutional law professor at Western Michigan University's uh, Cooley Law School, the Tampa campus, and uh, he'll be phoning in and we'll, we'll get into all this about the West Virginia House uh, impeaching the entire state Supreme Court. And we'll talk about the U.S. Supreme Court a little bit and some of the legal woes that the White House is having. Uh, should be a very interesting conversation, so I hope you'll stay tuned for that. Um, coming up tomorrow on the show, uh, we're going to be visited by royalty. Yes, that's right. Queen Elizabeth will join us here on the Tom Sumner program. Not the one from merry old England, the one from merry old Holly Grove. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on just a second. Anyway, as I was saying, Queen Elizabeth from, uh, from Merry Old Holly Grove, the uh, Michigan Renaissance Festival, will be joining uh, us in the studio tomorrow. And live music from Raphael Banks. He's been here a couple of times with different projects. He has a new project featuring Megan Penning, and they will be performing live tomorrow during the third half of our three-hour tour uh, here on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me now by phone from uh, Tampa, I believe, is uh, Brendan Beery. Hi, Brendan. Hi, how you doing? Good, good. Um, we're, we're going to break here in a couple of minutes, but I thought I'd go ahead and, uh, and, and uh, bring you into the, uh, the conversation. Um, what did you think about, uh, about all the news with regard to uh, Manafort and uh, Cohen? Uh, that was a very bizarre day in the history uh, of the presidency. Um, obviously, the you know the Paul Manafort um, charges didn't really have much to do with uh, with Donald Trump. Still, kind of remarkable that um, his you know he was the campaign uh, chair uh, and is is now a felon. Um, as is the personal lawyer um, to the president. As is the first national security advisor. <laughs> Uh, and so, um, you know, that alone, uh, just, just is a very unusual situation the, but the much more, um, troubling development was, was Michael Cohen, uh, pleading guilty to eight counts, uh, in the Southern district of New York. But, uh, of those eight, it was the last two counts seven and eight, um, that really got everybody's attention because in, in the, and those uh, campaign finance violation um, uh, pleas, he implicated the president uh, and said, uh, particularly during his what lawyers call allocution, which yeah. is a fancy word for his little speech, <laughs> right? Right. right. Uh, where he where he tells the judge uh, what he did uh, that makes him guilty of the crime. When he was doing that, uh, he expressly said that that he had paid off um, uh, one of the. Uh, uh, Adult film stars, um, yeah, at the direction I, I, of the president I, to, to I, influence the election. I love the phrase, uh, you know, under the direction of a national candidate. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> Brendan, we we got to take a break here, but but that'll be on the list of things we're going to talk about coming the Tom up Sumner after this. Program. 
fashion radio for a new generation. Crime Stoppers is offering up to $2,500 for information that helps lead to the felony arrest of the person responsible for killing Sidney Pettigrew. On Tuesday, May 1st, 2018, 51-year-old Sidney Pettigrew was shot and killed while working out at the Rock Fitness Center in the 2500 block of South Saginaw Street on Flint Southside. Submit information anonymously at p3tips.com or by calling 1-800-422-JAIL. Remember, your voice matters. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest trail. I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a... 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. 
Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Support for the Tom Sumner Program comes from Hamity Complete Food Center, the same family values and community spirit that founded Hamity's back in 1911 and sent trucks of food to sit-down strikers in 1937, is back. Hamity sacks and all. Hamity Complete Food Center is located at 2629 West Pearson Road near Clio Road in Flint and on Facebook. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Stream us live weekdays at 9 Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Made possible by listeners like you. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is uh, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery from the Western Michigan University Cooley Law School in Tampa. He joins me by phone. Brendan, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, Brendan, I, I, I want to stay on this uh, Manafort. I, we have planned to talk about the uh, West Virginia Supreme Court impeachment, but um, I, I want to stay on Manafort and Cohen for just a minute because uh, just just before the break we sort of ta- started talking about that and that's been you know the big headline that's just about all the uh, some uh, most of the major uh, cable news networks are talking about um, which is worse uh, pleading guilty or being found guilty. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a good question. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a great question because either way you wind up a felon, right? So uh, that's, uh, but uh, it's, and you know, and, and actually there were some reports that Michael Cohen was kind of emotional when he pleaded guilty because the judge has to tell you, you know, you're, you're losing your right to vote. Um, you know, this is going on your record. There's no way to get rid of it and all that kind of stuff. But um, the good is, news is he automatically you, uh, disbarred now. No, uh, that would be a separate proceeding, um, but you can bet now that there are going to be people filing uh, ethics complaints um, and, uh, and that he probably will wind up being um, disbarred, but it's not, it's not automatic. Um, the State Bar of New York would have to go through that process and, and uh, give him his, his day in court, so to speak. Um, and I, I don't know that he'll even defend himself. I mean, it looks like he's of a mind right now to sort of just cop to everything, say, I screwed up. Um, you know, a lot of speculation that he's trying to save, um, you know, his, his family from any more, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and he seems to have really um, genuinely uh, turned against the president. Um, and uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if when the state bar comes calling, he just says, here's my license, you know, here's my ticket. Um, you know, maybe you can give it back to me in 10 years, but so it was really kind of unnecessary for the president to recommend people find other legal advice. <laughs> no, <right. laughs> no, I saw that tweet and I was, uh, <clears throat> my first reaction to that tweet was, I'm not sure this is the time to be joking, uh, <laughs> uh, right, if, if you're Donald Trump, but... Um, but, uh, but to your, actually, to your first question, it is better to plead than to be found guilty um, when it comes to the sentencing phase. Uh, at that point, <clears throat> you can tell it's a sentencing judge, I took responsibility, 
and I am remorseful, um, and I didn't waste any of the, of the government's time, um, you know, uh, dragging, dragging this out. Um, whereas if you actually uh, demand a trial and say that you're not guilty and don't accept responsibility, then you have the opposite problem when it comes to sentencing. Um, where you're going to have a judge saying, well, you're, you're not showing any remorse or taking any responsibility. That factors into it. Um, but in Manafort's case, the sentencing judge is going to be this judge, uh, T.S. Eliot, who, who I, I'm sure most people have heard of by now, who, who has given the, uh, the government and Bob Mueller's team a hard time um, from the get-go. And so he, seemed, he has seemed sympathetic to Manafort's case uh, even in pre-trial uh, uh, motions and rulings. So maybe, maybe Paul Manafort thought, you know, with this judge, I'm going to get a light sentence no matter what, so uh, I'm just going to go ahead and roll okay. the dice and see what happens. Right. Well, and, and that may not have been all that bad because, what was it, 10 out of 13 or 14 uh, charges the, the jury couldn't make a decision on? Yeah, there's 10, right, 10 out of the uh, 18. So they convicted on eight. Um, the bad new, really bad news for Paul Manafort is that the eight that the jury convicted on um, cover all three of the different areas what, that the prosecutor was going after. So it's not like it was eight on tax evasion, you know, and then nothing on bank fraud or on that kind of right, stuff. It was right. it covered the gamut. Um, so that's a that's a real problem when it comes to sentencing. Um, and it's just coming out this morning apparently that. There was only one juror um, that hung the jury on those other ten. Um, all, that, there was one one juror. Yeah, is the reason why there wasn't a unanimous verdict on all eighteen counts. Um, now, if you're Bob Mueller, what do you do with that? Because, uh, but one of the things I, I'm not, you know, I, I, this this can be a little bit uh, of a nuance is to a hung jury um, is not is not an acquittal. Um, so he was not acquitted on those ten counts, which means that. Bob Mueller can retry uh, the, the case on those 10 counts. Um, that, decision, that decision would probably be influenced by the sentence that he gets. Right, right. And, uh, or and also, yeah, the sentence is right. It's, uh, and, of course, you know, um, Paul Manafort is facing a second trial in District of Columbia. Um, so there's a lot going on there. But I, I, Bob Mueller... Um, the more you hear about him, I think the people who know how he operates will say he's a no-nonsense guy, he, but he is a psychological warfare guy. Um, he will keep pressure on somebody until they break. Um, and so I wouldn't be too surprised if he actually does refile against uh, Paul Manafort on the, on the 10 charges the jury did not agree on, just, just to keep the pressure on him. He is obviously wants something out of Paul Manafort. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know what that is. None of us knows what that is. But, but there's some reason why he is keeping this level of pressure on him. Um, and so we'll, we'll see. But, I would, again, I wouldn't be surprised if he refiles on those 10. And, and there's, there's uh, one other um, thing that popped up in the news that I, that I thought I would uh, just throw into the mix here, and that's uh, – Judiciary Chair Chuck Grassley saying that Brett Kavanaugh could be confirmed by October 1st, and mm -hmm. and senators have been meeting with Kavanaugh. Um, is it likely that he'll uh, be on the bench when they reconvene on the first Monday of October? Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a betting guy, but I think I do think so. I I don't think um, 
it's kind of ironic. You, one might think that this would damage his chances, um, you know, because, I mean, if we remember back to the, the, right, the Merrick Garland nomination in the last year of the President Obama's administration, right. the, the argument there was, well, we can't, have, we can't have hearings and do this in merely 11 and a half months in this kind of political circus, right? Um, well, now watch. I mean, we're, you've never seen a bigger political circus than what's going on right now, but they're going to, I happen to think that rather than derailing uh, um, Judge Kavanaugh's nomination, that this is going to speed it up because at this point now, Republicans know this thing could blow up at any minute. Um, and if if they're looking at um, the possibility, you know, I hate to throw the I word around, but if they're looking at a possibility of some kind of impeachable offense coming out uh, within the next couple months, um, and they haven't already gotten uh, Judge Kavanaugh on the bench, then they're going to have a real mess on their hands. And uh, so I do think, I think that they're going to hold their hearings as promised beginning September 4th. Um, I think those hearings are going to be expedited, and I think he'll be on the bench by the beginning of the next Supreme Court term, which is October 1st. As long as you mentioned impeachment, one of the most interesting stories I've seen in a while is uh, this one out of West Virginia from a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. where lawmakers uh, <laughs> actually did something that's probably a first in American history. They impeached the entire state Supreme Court. Um, right. Is this a first of? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was just reading about that. Then It certainly um, would be the first... Uh, you know, in, in, in centuries, it would be the first time a state Supreme Court had nobody on it. Uh, you know, you'd have, you'd have a state Supreme Court that was totally vacant. Um, and so, yeah, this, this, this idea of impeaching all um, of the justice, now it's a small court. You know, most states have seven, uh, at least seven uh, Supreme Court justices. Right. West Virginia only has five. Um, so um, I guess it's easier with that small number, you know, uh, there's one vacancy because somebody resigned. So now you're down to four. Um, one of the four is under indictment. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, so now you're down to three. Uh, and, um, you know, and that, but the judge who was indicted is, is suspended from, uh, from sitting on cases. So, so it's not like they, they impeached, you know, uh, you know, umpteen uh, people here. They really only had to get reach three people who um who weren't already you know in, in a, a ton of trouble but to do that um they had to really kind of look through a lot of the finances other you know some of the stuff these people are accused of these judges are accused of is you know spending too much money to redecorate their offices and spending money on framing you know pictures and and uh, degrees and and awards and um you know, so, some of the money looks pretty outrageous, but it's not the it's not the kind of accusation that you would usually see in, a, in an impeachment. Um, you know, an impeachment, whether it's federal or state, um, an impeachment usually results from somebody doing something uh, that's a real breach of the public trust. Uh, in the context of, and in a, in the uh, with judges, you'd you'd be there talking about in their rulings, um, and. Um, so it's very unusual, you know, very unusual to see um, a state legislature going after uh, an entire state Supreme Court like this. Um, I don't think there's any way to avoid the, the politics. There's obviously a fight in West Virginia uh, among Republicans and Democrats. 
Well, yeah, West Virginia Democrats are saying that this is just a, a ploy by Republicans to put more conservative judges on the bench. And and the uh, the articles of impeachment, the 11 articles of impeachment, dealt with wasteful spending, maladministration, mm-hmm. incompetency, neglect of duty, and potential criminal behavior, uh, according mm-hmm. to the House Speaker's uh, press release, John Overington, the uh, House Speaker pro tempore, I think. Um, <laughs> in, in any event... Um, those, none of that sounds like a smoking gun. No, that's and yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get at. That 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 is not the kind of stuff where, or the, the kind of conduct where you normally see an impeachment proceeding. Uh, to say, well, you know, and really, that seems to be the allegation here for some of these judges as well. You didn't have your eye on the ball when somebody associated with you was spending too much money on what, a couch in their house or, uh, you know, travel expenses or whatever. That's, you're right, that's, that's administrative stuff. That, that's the kind of stuff you usually see a slap on the wrist um, uh, or some kind of censure, if anything. Um, you know, I mean, I guess nor- in the normal case, you would just see it corrected, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, rather than, rather than anybody pay a price for it. But, um, yeah, it's, it is, I think, aside from the one judge who's under indictment, and that's where you get that, you know, possible criminal activity uh, charge. Um, the other three, uh, yeah, that strikes me as highly unusual, especially in the context of um, the state of West Virginia trying to make some changes in the, how they elect judges uh, to make it. It's funny, there's uh, North Carolina and Virginia are both doing this. Um, they're trying to get away from the nonpartisan election of judges and actually make it partisan. Um, the reason for that is that the legislatures in those uh, states, which are controlled by uh, Republicans, um, have decided that if you actually had a, a party label on a judge running for office, that that would mean more Republicans would win in those states. Um, so they're trying to move away from nonpartisan election of judges which would be familiar to Michiganders, right? Uh, in Michigan, you know, they're not allowed. We, we usually know uh, which party is supporting which candidate, but, you know, they're not allowed to actually tag themselves, right, as the Democratic nominee. or the Well, Republican yeah, nominee. because the two major parties put up a slate of candidates, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> for the nonpartisan race. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah that, there is some humor in this there, there there really is yeah. but but there's yeah. a, an underlying issue um that that i couldn't help thinking about now now procedurally it moves forward to the to the state senate much much like uh like federal law the uh, west virginia right. constitution um demands that this then go to trial in the senate and it requires a mm-hmm. two-thirds vote to remove a justice right. from office. They don't know when the trial will actually happen, but it moves into the Senate now. Mm-hmm. But what does this say about checks and balances? Um, and, yeah. and, and should we be concerned about um, judges or, or the judicial system losing some of its teeth with regard to checks and balances. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that is something uh, people need to, if not worry about, at least start thinking about, um, is whether we want judges to be impartial or whether we want them to always agree with, you know, our preferred uh, political uh, party. And, um, you know, uh, I think what, when I started thinking, you know, this might get um, a little bit out of control was uh, back, it was, this was actually involved Iowa in 2009, the Iowa Supreme Court in 2009 ruled unanimously, 7 nothing, um, uh, that the state had to permit same-sex marriage. And this was before the national case, right, the Obergefell case uh, uh, that Justice Kennedy wrote. So, um, so Iowa was kind of ahead of that. Um, and as a result of that, three, three of the, the justices of the Iowa Supreme Court the very next year were, uh, lost their uh, elections. And that's unheard of. Um, uh, for, for a sitting justice uh, to be removed like that. It's called a retention election, where you're not even running against somebody. It's just the, the question is whether you should be retained. Um, and um, three of those justices lost in a, in a popular is, election. Is uh, that a variation on a recall? Um, no, because it's, it's kind of like it, but the, the difference is that it's a regularly scheduled um, question, oh. whereas a recall is a special question, right? So... In, so in Iowa, for example, it's not, instead of having an, an election where people are running against each other, um, every, you know, every six years or so, I, I'm, don't quote me on that, but it's something like that, um, they just have a retention election. Usually what happens, the justice just sails right through that, and they don't have to bother with any kind of a, right, a, a general election that, you know, to choose somebody for that seat. Um, so, so, yeah, so that, and that's how it usually works. So for three of those justices, um, what happened, of course, was a lot of money was pumped in um, to Iowa um, for that election in 2010, um, and those justices um, lost. And there you start to see a trend, you know, that well, and those justices, by the way, have been very outspoken since then. They're still, they're still out there. They're still giving speeches. They're still talking about what happened to them. And it's this very issue um, that they, they knew when they cast their votes uh, in that case that they might be, they might lose their seats over that. Um, they might lose their jobs over that. They might lose their pensions over that. And you do have to ask yourself as a citizen whether that's what you want judges thinking when they're ruling on cases. You know, I, um, I always used to say when I was in practice, um, you know, that, um, you know, we we always want. It, well, it seems like the general um, feeling or, or zeitgeist out there is always. We want judges who are tough on crime and are always going to rule in favor of the prosecutor and be tough on criminals, and that's what that's how everybody feels until their kid is charged with a crime. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. suddenly, yeah, suddenly, you want a judge who's really fair, uh, right? And um, so that's uh, yeah, that's something that that, that I think uh, you know is being brought to a new level um, in the West Virginia situation and in North Carolina. I think there's something even more untoward going on. Um, or at least a proposal that's even more untoward. Uh, but, but yeah, when you start having politicians um, um, removing judges, yeah, because they're misadministering, um, you know, in terms of what, uh, <laughs> staffing or human resources or whatever, um, misadministering a court, um, th you have to start wondering, yeah, what are, are, are we going to insist that our courts be impartial? Well, and here's, that our here's judges one of the be impartial or here, not. Here's one of the the descriptions from a from a piece by Doug Chris on uh, CNN. 
The court's justices, Chief Justice Margaret Workman and Justices Alan Lowry, Robin Davis, and Elizabeth Walker, are accused of failing to carry out the court's administrative duties and wasteful spending during office renovations. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to laugh. <laughs> no, but I, yeah. I mean, there, there, there is, you know, a a uh, silly Mad Magazine sort of spin to this, but mm-hmm. but the underlying concern is, um, you know, how how can a court um, are they getting their teeth knocked out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. When, and, it, uh, when it comes to checks and balances, you know what mm-hmm. what court they, that ends up you know sitting in West Virginia after this is going to shoot down something the legislature does? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You, I think you just nailed it there. I mean, that's. Yeah, because now the the message has been sent, right? That as uh, you know, if if your political leanings uh, don't accord with our own, then you're out of here. And uh, of course, the the West Virginia Constitution allows the governor to pick whoever he wants uh, to replace a justice who's been removed. And so, as long as that governor is in your party, um, you're in control. And you and that's right. You you have a court full of people who have no choice uh, but to agree with the state legislature. Uh, and the dominant party in that state on virtually everything, um, and uh, and so that's you know it's funny this the closest we've come to this on the federal level was in in the nineteen mid nineteen thirties um, <laughs> when the, you know where I'm going right the, yeah. the court packing plan right, right? right. and uh, yeah FDR decided he had had it with um, with a with a U.S. Supreme Court that was striking down all of his New Deal legislation right and threatened. He said, for every one of the justices who is over 70 years old, um, I'm going to appoint a younger justice to help kind of help you out, you know, kind of, you know, figure out what you ought to be doing. And so that would have brought the court to 15 um, instead of nine. That went over like a lead balloon because even as popular as FDR was, um, you know, people realized this is not how you treat it. That's not how you handle it. If you're a politician, you shouldn't be that involved in courts. Um, and, and the composition of a court. And, and you shouldn't be changing the composition of a court because you disagree with, you know, their approach to a certain issue. And so uh, so that never happened. That was called the switch in time that saved nine, uh, by the way, because the Supreme Court, although uh, FDR didn't pack it, um, they suddenly changed their view <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of a lot of the New Deal legislation that they were looking at. And so uh, that, their, that change was called the switch in time that saved nine. Um, uh, because the justices kind of thought, well, FDR failed this time trying to pack the court, but God only knows if you know if they ultimately succeed if we keep striking down his laws. So there's some history of this on the national level, but um, it is a very troubling development for sure. Well, when you were talking about politicians being, you know, uh, concerning themselves with matters of the court, administrative and otherwise. Politicians didn't used to spend as much time in court as they do now. (laughs) (laughs) Brendan, I have to take a a break here, but uh, can you stick around? We'll do another segment. Sure, sounds good. All right. 
Uh, my guest is Brendan Beery. He is a constitutional law professor at uh, WMU Cooley Law in Tampa. Uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM, WFOV, our voices radio, a broadcast service of the Odyssey House Flint. Squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So stay tuned. More with Brendan Beery. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Flint Comics and Entertainment, the world's leading free comics and entertainment newspaper at flintcomics at gmail.com. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Support for the Tom Sumner Program 10th Anniversary comes from the Flint Institute of Music. Bring your classic ride to the Cars and Bars fundraiser hosted by Dr. Bobby McCamala September 19th and support the Flint Institute of Music and Sloan Longway. Show off your car and enjoy live music, amazing food, and the cocktail bar. More information is available at thefim.org forward slash cars bars or 810-237-3110. Flint Community Schools encourages area families to enroll today for the 2018-19 school year. Reinforce the importance of a high-quality education to your child by enrolling early at Flint Community Schools. To enroll, visit the Administration Building at 923 East Kersley Street in Flint, which is open year-round. For more information or answers to common questions, visit flintschools.org or call 810-760-1000. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. 
Since April of 2008, Tom Sumner has produced a daily talk show promoting civilized conversation about politics, public affairs, pop culture, and the arts. From intelligent interviews, forums, and armchair politics, to live musical performances and previews of Flint Symphony Orchestra concerts. Hello! I'm Maestro Enrique DeMake wishing Tom a happy 10th anniversary. Congratulations on your success, my friend! The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Ten years and more to come. Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Stream us live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon at TomSumnerProgram.com, made possible by listeners like you. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. And welcome back, everybody. My guest uh, this hour is constitutional law professor Brendan Beery from Tampa Cooley Law. And uh, we've been talking about the West Virginia House uh, impeachment of its entire state Supreme Court. Welcome <laughs> back, uh, Brendan. And I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that you've apologized a couple times for snickering at some of this stuff, but some of it seems so absurd that it's hard not to laugh a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reading a piece from CNN, and it, and it reads like something from The Onion. Right. Yeah, yeah that's right. And um, and I've mentioned North Carolina a couple times, too. And yeah, what, um, what are the differences between uh, what's going on in both of those uh, states? I mean, we've, we've talked about the West Virginia one, but what makes... Uh, the, the North Carolina ones seem a little bit more dubious, in your opinion. Yeah, I think, well, I guess they're not at the point in North Carolina yet where the state legislature is talking about this, but the chairman of the Republican Party in North Carolina has has said something that has really caught people's uh, attention. And, uh, you know, at, in West Virginia, at least they're going through the motions of trying to come up with some kind of misconduct that these justices, right, have, have undertaken. Uh, and so... Um, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, there happening is that uh, there are a number of ballot initiatives um, coming up for the next election, and uh, the new governor of North Carolina, who happens to be a Democrat, if if one can believe that, <laughs> is is um, challenging some of the ballot initiatives, and uh, these ballot initiatives, not surprisingly, uh, since the since a Democrat won the governor's race by, I don't know, a couple hundred votes, I think, um, the state legislature, which is controlled by Republicans, is trying to amend the state constitution to give a lot more power to the legislature and a lot less power to the governor in terms of appointing right, uh, people to state boards and state commissions and also state judges. Uh, so they're trying to do this little power shift. Now, the governor is saying that those proposed constitutional amendments that are going to go on the ballot that they are confusing and misleading 
And so far, uh, courts in North Carolina have been agreeing with the governor, at least as to a couple of them, uh, of those ballot initiatives. So it looks like the Republicans might lose. So the next step is that it goes to the Supreme Court um, of North Carolina. Now, now, what the GOP chairman in North Carolina has said is, right in advance of the Supreme Court hearing the case, if the justices of the Supreme Court rule against us, <laughs> then we should consider impeaching them. <clears throat> so in North Carolina, they've really... They've cut out even the, they're not even pretending that they're going after these, uh, these justices because of some kind of misconduct or, or, right, some kind of negligence in administering the court or whatever, decorating their offices with too much money. Um, he, this guy has flat out said, um, if you rule against us because of that ruling, uh, you ought to be impeached. And so, um, uh, you know, the media there is starting to ask um, state legislators, uh, to respond to that, and you're getting a very tepid, um, non-committal type of response. Like, oh, you know, well, we haven't really talked about. You hear that a lot, right? Well, we yeah. really haven't talked about that. We don't know. Um, you know, that's not our official position. But they're also not saying it's out of the question. So that's very odd. Yeah, it deserves further study. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah. But but of course the the U.S. Constitution and and the uh, powers that are assigned to the three branches of government, um, the the way they're defined, it's it's supposed to be you know sort of predictable and 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 some of these things you hope are utilized in ex- under s- extreme circumstances. Right, and we're right. seeing the the standard for invoking things being lowered on a regular pa- basis. I don't think people still realize how significant um, getting rid of the filibuster in the Senate was. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's uh, it, you know, it's it's really interesting. You just said filibuster because as you were leading up to saying filibuster, I was thinking about the filibuster. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the the filibuster has been a problem for, uh, I don't know, over a decade now where it used to be, you know, I mean, getting rid of it was a problem, but also the way it was being used was a problem. Um, You know, it used to be that a filibuster was invoked in extraordinary, um, like the the language you just used, right, extraordinary circumstances uh, where the minority party... um, strongly held out against right some kind of new social change or or new uh, policy and and, um, and usually by, and, by taking to the floor and and mm-hmm. just stopping all activity through this right. this process and then they made it so that basically you could just fill out a form and mm-hmm. and, and, right. and it it became <clears throat> streamlined and easier to filibuster instead Mm -hmm. of being the extreme measure that it had been before and and that's it it made it easy to abuse it that's right and uh that's right it was easy to abuse it and they and it was abused because by the time by the time we were about and this happened some uh when when uh democrats were using filibuster against george w bush It accelerated uh, under Obama because what, by the time you're about midpoint in President Obama's uh, presidency, 
um, there were filibusters on every single one of his judicial appointments. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's why Democrats killed um, the filibuster for lower court appointments, because they're saying we can't we can't meet a 60 vote threshold for uh, right for every district, you know, trial judge in, in the United States. Um, and uh, and the Democrat and of course, then the Republicans took it one step farther and killed it for the Supreme Court nominations. So, yeah, so you're right. I mean, something that was designed to be a tool that would be used in extraordinary circumstances and something that shouldn't have been gotten rid of except in extraordinary circumstances, was abused both ways. <laughs> so, right. And here we are. And yeah, the protocols continue to fall. <clears throat> well, when they, when they made it you know, easy to invoke a filibuster, that, that really signed the death warrant for that, that procedure. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's, some state legislatures have been smart enough not to do that. Um, but yeah, it's you, you pine for the good old days where you'd actually have senators standing up there for ten hours reading out of the phone book. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jimmy right. Stewart, you know, <laughs> right. and Mr. Smith goes right. to Washington, you know that, <laughs> you know that's the picture you get in your mind. Um, and and who was right. it? Uh, was it was it Ted Cruz that? No, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah, was was it reading, uh, reading green eggs and ham. Yeah, yeah, and he. <laughs> He did an old-fashioned filibuster. That's right. And, you know, whether I agreed with his position or his rationale for doing the the filibuster, you know, I had to stand up and cheer, you know, for doing it the way it was supposed to be done. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yep, that was his famous green green eggs and ham moment. That's right. He did it the old-fashioned way. That's right. Um, But what happens going forward? I mean... You know, we're already looking at a, at a U.S. Supreme Court that is going to be uh, considerably more conservative and for mm-hmm. many years to come, uh, very likely. And mm-hmm. um, how does this chip away at the checks and balances that we've enjoyed as, as a way of curbing abuse? Yeah, I think the the federal level is a little more insulated than the state level because uh, U.S. federal judges, including Supreme Court justices, of course, are appointed for life, which has its pluses and its minuses, uh, but they are appointed for life. Um, they cannot be removed except by right impeachment uh, and removal. They And there's even a provision in the U.S. Constitution in Article 3 saying that they can't have their uh, compensation reduced while they are in office. So that you can see where the founders of the federal constitution were extremely careful to insulate um, judges from a uh, politics. Um, and, and you know, the, the, what they actually had, what they referred to as mob rule. Now, but, but if impeachment but, is made easier the way the mm-hmm. filibuster was, right. They're, they're right. going to bust through that insulation. Right. That's exactly right. So um, at, at this point, you can never say never. I mean, you, I would have <laughs> said, you know, five, ten years ago, never, right, that, uh, that Congress would never impeach a federal judge for political reasons. Um, you know, uh, but um, I guess in our current atmosphere, all, all bets are off. Uh, but you're right. I mean, all, all it would take would be one time, right, to, to find, to target a justice, um, to impeach them in the House of Representatives, to convict them in the Senate, 
where that you would change our political culture for all time. Um, and so we can we can hope um, that 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 doesn't happen. In the states, they seem to be a little well, a lot looser about this. First of all, the judges in many states are elected. Um, again, there's now a move to have them elected in partisan elections. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, it, it's it, the state, uh, state judicial systems tend to be more political, uh, in their nature anyway. So it's a smaller step in a state, right. To start doing something like this, it would be a huge right. step in the federal system. Well, to do something like this, we're going to have to leave it there, Brendan, but as always, thank you so much for spending this time with us and, and picking these, uh, very serious things apart. Thank you. Always a pleasure. All right. Take care. Sean Cantwell standing by the news desk in Lapeer with five minutes of news he's following for you this hour on the Tom Sumner program. And then we'll be back with more right after that. The Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation.